This podcast details true crime cases. It contains adult themes and may contain descriptions of violence. It is not intended for children. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you for joining me for today's episode of Once Upon a Crime. We're in the series Academy Award-winning crimes. Today's story is an unlikely one. A man suffers horrible deprivation and torture, as do many of his family members, friends, and colleagues during the Cambodian genocide, and somehow managed to escape to America. Not long after arriving, he is cast in a film, and never having acted before, is nominated for an Academy Award. This is the story of the killing fields of Cambodia and Dr. Hang S. Noor. On February 25, 1996, shots rang out on the 900 block of North Beaudry Boulevard, a working-class neighborhood in Los Angeles. North Beaudry is flanked by the border of the Chinatown District to the south and Dodger Stadium to the east. Like many neighborhoods in central Los Angeles, the street was located on a slope. From the top of North Beaudry, you could see the high-rise buildings and the lights of downtown Los Angeles. It was a Sunday night, clear and getting cold, now that the sun was down. A slight dark-haired man had just driven into the carport of his apartment building and was emerging from his gold-colored Mercedes to walk the few feet to the door of his two-bedroom flat when he was accosted. What transpired is a mystery, but what is known is that within moments, he had been shot in the chest. When police and an ambulance arrived, the man lying on the pavement was already dead. While tragic, it would seem that this was not a story for the newspapers, at first glance. Police quickly chalked it up to a robbery gone wrong, but others felt that the murder of Hang Noor, a Cambodian refugee turned actor and activist, had been a hit ordered by none other than the brutal dictator Pol Pot. Noor's killing, they said, had been in retaliation for speaking out against the Cambodian genocide carried out by the Khmer Rouge. Between 1975 and 1979, an estimated 1.5 to 3 million Cambodians were killed by the regime. Noor had been a vocal opponent after escaping from Cambodia. He'd made it his mission to tell the world about the horrors that had taken place in his home country. And Noor had a unique platform available to him that had been unavailable to other Cambodian refugees. He had the eyes and ears of the world as a Hollywood actor, and even the most unlikely platform of all, from the stage of the Academy Awards. Hang S. Noor's life was an incredible tale of tragedy, suffering, and triumph, and those that knew him best knew his tragic death would not go unnoticed. His story would live on because the work he started was not yet done. Hang Somnang Noor was born in 1940 into a family of rice farmers living in the Takeo province of Cambodia. Noor was a gifted student and went on to attend medical school, training as a surgeon and gynecologist. By 1970, he was living and working as a doctor in the capital city of Phnom Penh. Cambodians had lived under the rule of King Sihanouk since the 1950s. After his death in 1960, his son, taking the title of prince, became head of state. The Vietnam War was being fought on Cambodia's border, and Sihanouk took a neutral stance, but allowed Vietnamese communists to use Cambodia as a supply route for their arms and troops fighting in South Vietnam. Many Cambodians, especially those living in the rural areas, opposed this. 
the U.S. conducted airstrikes on the communist Vietnamese sanctuaries in Cambodia, a move that Sihanouk then protested. However, the bombings continued. The people became disillusioned with their leader, and while Sihanouk was away traveling in China in March 1970, the National Assembly met and returned a vote of no confidence against him. He was ousted in a military coup led by Prime Minister General Lan Nol. Civil war then broke out with Sihanouk allying himself with the Khmer Rouge, the Cambodian communists, and Lan Nol being backed by the United States. 70,000 U.S. and South Vietnamese troops crossed the Vietnamese-Cambodian border to fight North Vietnamese and Viet Cong troops who had taken sanctuary in Cambodia. Between 1970 and 1973, the U.S. dropped 500,000 tons of bombs on Cambodia in a secret bombing campaign as part of the Vietnam War strategy. By the time the bombing ended, in August 1973, the number of Khmer Rouge rebels had increased significantly. Many Cambodians living in the rural agrarian areas had been unhappy with the government, and some now joined the Khmer Rouge, led by Pol Pot, to fight against the Lan Nol regime and American aggression. The Khmer Rouge rebels were able to gain control of almost three-quarters of Cambodia's territory. The rebels began shelling Phnom Penh with rockets and artillery. The final assault started in 1975, with the Khmer Rouge bombarding the airport and blockading river crossings. Thousands of citizens, especially children, starved. On April 17, 1975, the rebels were victorious and entered Phnom Penh. The civil war had ended with about a half million Cambodians dead. Cambodian citizens at first hailed the Khmer Rouge troops as heroes who they thought would bring peace back to the country. They were not prepared for the devastation soon to come. Pol Pot and the Khmer Rouge now took power in Cambodia at the end of the Civil War. Pol Pot wanted to see Cambodia be restored to what he referred to as Year Zero. In his vision for the country, the past would be wiped clean and the new government would create a communist agricultural society in Cambodia. The first act the Khmer Rouge took was to evacuate Phnom Penh's 2.5 million residents from the city. Renaming the country Democratic Kampuchea, every professional or educated citizen, doctors, teachers, civil servants, and others were stripped of all their possessions. They were then sent out into the surrounding rural areas to work as peasant farmers as part of the re-education process and to restructure Cambodia into a classless system. Under Pol Pot, the state controlled every aspect of Cambodians' lives. Money, private property, jewelry, religion, and most reading materials were outlawed. Children were taken from their parents and forced into the military. Singled out for persecution was anyone suspected of having connections to the former government or foreign governments. Others who were persecuted included professionals, intellectuals, ethnic Vietnamese, ethnic Thai, ethnic Chinese, Cambodian Christians, and Buddhist monks. Minority languages were forbidden. The Khmer Rouge conducted raids and arrested anyone they suspected of being an enemy of the state. Soon, they would forgo making arrests and carry out mass executions. Others died of the brutal conditions forced upon them in the fields, while still others were starved to death or died of illness or diseases left untreated. Those who were doctors or nurses would watch many die, helpless to assist them, lest they give themselves away and be marked for certain death. 
Hang Noor would later say that he was very naive during the whole unfolding of events in his country. At the time the KR was becoming more powerful, he continued to work as a doctor, treating patients in the military hospitals as well as in a private clinic in Phnom Penh. He didn't pay much attention to the soldiers unless he had to treat them and basically just went on with his life. His life as a doctor was a good one before the war. He had a chauffeur who drove him wherever he needed to go in a late model Mercedes and he enjoyed dining in French restaurants. He was single and made a good living and was able to provide financially for his parents and siblings. In Phnom Penh, Nor met a young woman named Chang Mi Hoi, and they began a relationship. When the war ended, he celebrated along with the rest of the city. He believed that rule under Pol Pot and the KR would be an improvement over Lal Nan's leadership. He also thought the negotiations would happen between the fractured government parties and life would be restored to order. At first, he didn't worry even when fighting took place in the capital. He continued to ride his motorbike with the Red Cross emblem on the back, believing that as a medical professional, he was protected. Then the purge of professionals began, and Dr. Noor realized that he was in danger. One day, while he was working in the operating room performing surgery on a patient, KR soldiers arrived. Noor quickly took off his mask and doctor's coat before they entered. The soldiers were all very young men, most no older than teens, wearing black uniforms and equipped with AK-47s and Chinese-made hand grenades. Are you the commandant doctor, they demanded? No, I'm not, he said. He told them that the doctor had just left by the back door. They left the building in search of the doctor to either carry out an arrest or an execution. He wasn't sure which. He only knew he wasn't sticking around to find out. As soon as they'd gone, he gathered his things to leave. An assistant was in the operating room with him, and he asked Noor, where are you going? I'm leaving, he replied. You're going to leave the patient? You're in the middle of an operation, the man protested. Look, Noor explained, if I stay to try and save this man, they will find out I'm a doctor, and they will kill me. He will die anyway in that case. If I leave, at least I may live. He then ran out of the hospital. The KR told civilians to leave the city for three days. They warned the U.S. was planning to drop bombs on Phnom Penh. By this time, Dr. Noor no longer trusted what they were being told. Some began to leave. There were long lines of people marching out of the city. Those that didn't leave or questioned the order were beaten or gunned down by the soldiers. People began to leave the city quickly when they saw what was happening. The former residents of the capital city now found themselves in the rural countryside. More rules and restrictions were placed on the citizenry. No personal attachments were allowed. Husbands, wives, children, and entire families were separated. Cooking at home was outlawed. Everyone was required to eat in communal kitchens, and food was limited. Cars and bikes could no longer be privately owned. Everyone was on foot now. Schools and hospitals were closed. Dr. Noor would say everything now was work. Every person was given a work assignment, working the fields, digging ditches, and other back-breaking tasks. Most families were split up, by being sent to different work details. Those who had been professionals, those with education and the upper class, were sent to learn from rural farmers how to do manual labor, at least the ones whose lives were spared. Pol Pot was designing his new society on the Chinese Revolution and strict communist ideals. Dr. Noor had been separated from his family and from Mi Hoi, his girlfriend, for weeks. Eventually, he and Hoi were reunited on the evacuation route out of the city. 
Nora's father was arrested on the charge of stealing food and imprisoned. He was never seen again. His mother and the rest of his siblings were sent away and also disappeared. Hoy's mother was found dead in a river soon after their forced resettlement. Whether she was murdered or took her own life by drowning was never determined. Mihoy and Nor were imprisoned in a concentration camp. The soldiers still had no idea that he was a doctor. He made sure never to reveal that he was educated and even stopped wearing his eyeglasses. He'd seen other men targeted, tortured, and even killed for this reason alone. The KR believed those who wore eyeglasses were only the educated upper class and singled them out for either re-education or extermination. In the camp, they worked from sunup to sundown every day with very little food, no medical care, and harsh punishments for the slightest infractions. Many of the soldiers enforcing the rules were children, from the ages of seven or eight to teens. They proved to be harsh taskmasters who had been taken from their families and brainwashed into believing that their own countrymen were their enemies, who looked down upon them as inferior. They were indoctrinated to believe that because the Khmer Rouge had been victorious over the great power, the United States, they were all powerful and were superior beings. Everyone who was not KR were inferior, and their lives were inconsequential, except for the work they could provide to their overseers. Their prisoners were forced to work while listening to Communist Party songs played at high volume over speakers that could be heard across the fields. Nor would say that he would have been happy to work even longer if only they would cut off the horrible, torturous music. That he couldn't stand, he said. Of course, citizens were not allowed to marry. No personal attachments were allowed, and marriage was at the top of the list. But Nor and Mihoy were in love and wanted to make a commitment to one another, so they held a secret Buddhist ceremony. In this way, they believed they were spiritually married. Mihoy became pregnant, and Nor was concerned because she was not getting enough food and was increasingly exhausted. One night, he snuck out to the countryside and dug up roots and greens to cook and eat. However, young children in the camp were employed by the KR soldiers to spy for them. In return, they may be given a little more rice to eat or less work. One child saw Nor with the vegetables and reported him. The soldiers arrived to question him. Who said you could steal the state's vegetables, they demanded, nor was taken away to be punished. For four days he was tortured. He was hung from a wooden gallows for four whole days with his hands tied behind his back. Eighteen prisoners were subjected to this treatment at the same time. Five of them were pregnant women. They were given no food or water. Of the eighteen, only four others besides Nor would survive. Mihui went into labor two months early. Of course, no one was given help or medical attention, no matter the circumstance. She labored for many hours, but Nor realized she would need a cesarean in order to deliver the baby safely. With his medical training, he could have easily helped her, but could not risk being discovered as a doctor. He had been tortured several times by the KR, as they suspected him of being educated. He never gave himself away, fearing not only for his own life, but the life of his wife and his family— who, if they were considered an educated family, would be killed as well. Nor looked on helplessly as his wife and child both died. From 1975 to 1978, Nor remained at the prison torture camp. There are debates as to how many Cambodians were killed by the Khmer Rouge. Numbers from 2 to 4 million are cited by various sources. 
All Noor knows is that just about everyone in his family was gone by the time the Vietnamese invaded Cambodia on December 25, 1978. Everyone who did survive had lost the majority of their families as well. Over 20,000 mass graves have since been found throughout Cambodia. After 17 days of fighting, Phnom Penh fell to the Vietnamese on January 7, 1979. Pol Pot and Rouge leaders fled to Thailand. The Vietnamese then installed a new government in Cambodia, made up of Khmer Rouge dissidents. Those that survived had to make their way out of the country and through miles of landmines planted by the KR. Hang S. Noor, along with the only other surviving member of his family, his young niece Sophia, walked through 10 miles or 16 kilometers of booby-trapped fields to arrive at a refugee camp in Thailand. There he worked as a doctor, treating the sick and injured. On August 30, 1980, he and Sophia left the country, traveling as refugees to the United States. Before arriving in the U.S., Hang Noor had a gold locket made in Bangkok. He wore the heart-shaped locket around his neck. On it, he had placed a photo of his wife, Hoi, the only photo of her he still possessed. He never took it off. Noor and his niece, Sophia, were sent to California, where they settled in Long Beach. Many Cambodian refugees had been resettled in the coastal town. He began preparing to take the medical boards in California. He wanted to continue his work as a physician, but it would be difficult. He spoke only broken English, and it would be expensive to take the classes and pay for the tests he needed to be licensed in the U.S. He and Sophia moved to the Los Angeles area, where he began work as a social worker at a Chinatown service center. There he assisted refugees to find jobs and connected them with resources like health care and nutrition programs. He was well-liked by the community members who called him Dr. Noor. He threw himself into helping his fellow refugees, using his education and training in whatever way he could to serve the Asian community in which he lived and worked. Noor had been in the U.S. for four years when he attended the wedding of a friend in Long Beach. There he met a woman named Pat Golden. Golden was a casting director who had been on a nationwide search to find an actor to portray Cambodian journalist Dith Pran in an upcoming feature film. When she saw Noor, she felt he was perfect for the role, no matter that he had absolutely no acting experience. At first, Noor laughed at Golden's suggestion that he come in for a screen test. When she wouldn't take no for an answer, he told her he wasn't interested in being in a movie. But eventually, he was persuaded when he remembered the words his wife had said to him when they were suffering through the horrors of Pol Pot's regime. If we survive this, she had said, we need to tell people what happened here. We need to share Cambodia's story. So Noor agreed to the screen test. Before they began, Golden told him all he needed to do was to draw from his own real-life experiences in Cambodia. That was easy for him, he said. All the terror, hunger, tragedy, and horror of the war was never far from his mind. Golden was astonished at the emotion he was able to convey immediately while reading the script. He was offered the role. Noor's only reservation in taking the role was that he'd have to leave Sophia behind in the U.S. while he traveled to Thailand to film on location. He had become like a father to his niece, and only when he secured a trustworthy guardian for her in his absence did he sign on to make the film. The film was titled The Killing Fields. Sam Waterston plays New York Times reporter 
Sidney Schonberg, who is on assignment covering the Cambodian Civil War. Nor plays Dith Pran, a journalist who is working alongside Schonberg as a guide and interpreter. The American makes arrangements for Pran and his family to leave the country as the war escalates. But Pran is determined to stay and cover the story. He soon finds himself trapped in the sights of brutal Khmer Rouge rebels. The film was released in February 1985, a mere six years after Noor himself fled Cambodia. Right after filming ended, Noor went back to work at the Chinatown Service Center. He didn't anticipate that the movie would become a smash success and a critical favorite, racking up scores of award nominations. Nor did he anticipate that his role would be hailed as a standout performance. He would also be nominated for many acting awards, including the Academy Award for the Best Actor in a Supporting Role. On March 25, 1985, Nor and his niece Sophia headed just a couple of miles away from their small two-bedroom apartment in Los Angeles to attend the 57th Academy Awards Ceremony at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion. They had chosen their outfits carefully, Nor in a tuxedo and Sophia in a white dress with a feathered wrap. However, what they did not plan for was that the traffic around the theater would cause their 10-minute trip to take over an hour. The Best Supporting Actor Award was one of the first to be announced. As a result, Nor and Sophia were not yet in their seats when the nominees were being announced. They just had time to find their seats when they heard his name being announced as Best Supporting Actor, winning out over such seasoned actors as Pat Morita for The Karate Kid and John Malkovich for his role in Places in the Heart. The film had also been nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Screenplay, and Sam Waterston was nominated in the Best Actor category. Amadeus was the big winner that night, taking home all those prizes. Nor was the only winner to represent the Killing Fields and take away the gold statue. Sophia was so ecstatic at her uncle's win, it wasn't until after she'd finished applauding and sat back in her seat that she realized she was seated next to Prince who would take away the award that evening for Best Original Song Score for Purple Rain. Lucky girl. While thrilled by his win at the Academy Awards, Nor still didn't expect his life to change much. He remained humble and continued to enjoy his job assisting refugees. He also remained living in his small apartment near Chinatown. The only thing that changed was that his Oscar was placed in a prominent place in his living room, near his statue of Buddha. But soon, he began receiving offers for acting work, as well as offers to be a guest on television talk shows and for speaking engagements. He decided to use these opportunities as a platform to bring awareness to the atrocities that had been committed in Cambodia and to see that those responsible were brought to justice. So, in between acting jobs that paid the bills guest roles on Miami Vice, Highway to Heaven, and China Beach, as well as in the films Heaven and Earth and My Life, Noor traveled around the country, educating people about the Cambodian genocide. But Noor was not content to just share his story. The question he wanted answered was, what could be done about it? He also returned to Cambodia to deliver aid to those who were still suffering after the decimation of their country. He worked with human rights organizations to improve conditions in resettlement camps. He also used his platform to call for the perpetrators of the Cambodian massacre to be brought to justice. He sometimes took his Oscar with him as he spoke in front of one audience or another. He didn't shy away from sharing the brutal details of what he had seen and experienced 
at the hands of the Khmer Rouge. He also co-founded two refugee aid societies. The Dr. Hang S. Noor Foundation was begun with his friend and fellow actor, Jack Ong. Ong was also the pastor of Venice Christian Community Church in Venice, California. The church started Project Cambodia to raise funds to care for orphans and to help rebuild Cambodia's infrastructure that had been devastated by the war. In 1996, Noor had been an actor for over a decade and had been running his foundation for about half that time. His life was full and he was content. He still missed his wife Hoi and prayed for her every day. He also still wore the gold locket with her picture close to his heart, never taking it off. On February 25th of that year, Noor returned home, parking his gold Mercedes in the carport of the small apartment where he still lived. It was close to his friends and his community, and Noor felt blessed to have a safe home for him and Sophia. It wasn't fancy, but it was paradise compared to what he'd been through in the Khmer Rouge torture camp and the refugee camp in Thailand, and he was happy to call it home. As he exited his car in the narrow alleyway behind the apartment building, he was approached by three young men. They demanded his money and jewelry. They took his $6,000 gold Rolex off his wrist, but when they told him to hand over his gold locket, worn on a chain around his neck, he refused. Shots rang out, and he was struck in the chest. He fell to the pavement, dead. At least, this is one version of events. Some would not believe it was the whole story. Two months later, the police arrested three young men, Tak Sun Tan, Jason Chan, and Indra Lim, all members of an Asian street gang, the Oriental Lazy Boys. Several witnesses had come forward identifying them as the men they saw running away from the scene of Noor's murder. The prosecutor at their trial would say that they had attempted to rob Noor to purchase rock cocaine, but had shot him after he refused to part with the locket with the photo of his deceased wife. Noor's niece, Sophia, had helped solve the case of her uncle's murder when she determined that his Rolex watch, as well as the locket, were both missing and could not be found in the apartment. She knew that her uncle would never have taken off the locket and might have died trying to prevent it from being stolen. However, some of Noor's neighbors and others in the Cambodian community were not convinced. They believed that his killing might have been a hit ordered by Pol Pot or a member of the Khmer Rouge. Noor had been an outspoken critic of the regime, and his celebrity had drawn attention to the atrocities committed by them. There was also the question of what was left behind at the robbery. Noor's Rolex watch was taken, but his Mercedes was left behind, the key found on the floor of the car. As well, Noor had $2,900 in cash in the pocket of a jacket found in the back seat of the car, as well as $800 in cash in his pants pocket. Perhaps it was an assassination made to look like a robbery, and they only yanked his jewelry off his body before fleeing to make it look like a robbery gone wrong, some speculated. To investigate these claims, the Los Angeles Police Department consulted with the U.S. State Department as well as the FBI to see if there was a link between Noor's murder and the Khmer Rouge. After conducting their investigation, they determined that there was no link between Noor's death and Cambodia or Pol Pot. The three gang members were tried together in Los Angeles Superior Court. Their defense attorneys tried to lay out a case for their innocence, claiming the murder was politically motivated and carried out by enemies of the doctor. However, they did not bring in any evidence to support their theory. 
all three defendants were found guilty on April 16, 1998, the same day that news of Pol Pot's death came from Cambodia. Tak Sun Tan was given a sentence of 56 years to life, Indra Lim received 26 years to life, and Jason Chan received life without parole. The locket was never recovered. Dr. Hang S. Noor's legacy would live on in the foundation he founded. The Dr. Hang S. Noor Foundation was incorporated a year after his death as a 5013C charitable organization. It serves to preserve the legacy of its founders' accomplishments in human rights work, as well as the promotion of Cambodia's history and culture through education, activism, and the arts. Noor's niece, Sophia Noor Dimitri, who has since married and has a family, is the current president of the foundation. Noor's good friend and co-founder, Jack Ong, serves as executive director. Some still refuse to believe that Noor's death was the result of a simple robbery by a gang of street thugs. Their suspicions were multiplied when a former Khmer Rouge official on trial for war crimes in Cambodia in 2009 claimed that Noor was murdered on Pol Pot's orders. Many Cambodians believe this to be a confirmation of what they already suspected to be true. In a statement, without being asked specifically about Noor, the KR official, known as Comrade Duke, described the tactics Pol Pot used to get rid of his enemies. It was in this portion of his testimony that he mentioned Noor's murder. For many, that closes the case on who is responsible for Noor's death. Some choose to remember Noor by his own words, said to a reporter soon after the killing fields was released. If I die from now on, okay. This film will go on for a hundred years. That will do it for this episode of Once Upon a Crime. Once Upon a Crime is written, produced, and edited by me, Esther Ludlow. Original music is by Cesare Gray Music. Our marketing social media assistant is Nancy Chen. And our administrative assistant is Lorena Garcia. Until next time, be good to one another. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.